you show God a little glory this morning and uh, our worship band, um, a little appreciation for an awesome set of um, worship song this morning. We're going to continue worshiping. Um, you know, we worship through the word opened up and read and proclaimed and we worship in our giving. There's a whole lot of ways that we worship. And um, I want to share with you some good news this morning before we dive into this morning's sermon. I want to give you a brief financial update and, and that's going to celebrate the way that uh, we worship in giving and the way that your worship through giving is making a big difference in our church. Um, I'm pleased to say that we start this year, 2018, on sound financial footing with about $60,000 in net income on operating receipts of $510,000. Both of these amounts are at or very close to budgeted amounts. Budgeted amounts of net income of $58,000 and budgeted revenue of $528,000. Several years ago, our church leadership made a wise decision to start a capital expenditure fund. We also know it as the trustees fund, to which folks like you can contribute if you so desire for ongoing repair and replacement of church equipment and property. This year, we anticipate things like painting part of the church exterior, resurfacing the rest of our parking lots, and installing video security cameras on our campus. This fund is also in good financial shape. We also continue to positively impact our community, our region, our country, even other countries with your generous mission giving. I'm pleased to say that just a little earlier this month, we wrote a check for $76,000 to the United Methodist Committee on Relief for the WASH program to help provide clean water and sanitation to the people of Zambia. That's your Christmas Eve offering. Thank you for your generosity and giving glory to God. You're making a big difference. As of March 31st, we have received $1.794 million in contributions for our Building Connections project, and we've reduced our loan to $1.724 million. Our expense budget for the project was $3.6 million and we spent $3.539 million. The rest then is available for loan repayment. Contributions continue to come in and will be applied towards the loan balance. Finally, our endowment funds, which have a current market value of about $1.33 million generated $50,000 in earnings last year, and they do that similarly every single year. Those earnings are made available for designated ministries, things that you designate to fulfill our mission as a church. So on behalf of our entire staff, I want to stand here and say thank you, generous people of Anderson Hills. You are making a tremendous difference at home and around the world because of your generosity as we change lives and help introduce people to Jesus Christ near and far. Would you show God a little glory and give yourselves a little bit of appreciation this morning? Thank you. Well, we really do have a lot to celebrate and to give thanks for as a church. But you know, life isn't always filled with things that are worth celebrating. And sometimes it's even hard for us to feel like giving thanks. That's what we've been exploring for the last couple of weeks in this sermon series entitled, It's Okay to Be Not Okay. Some of the most important questions that we can ask as people of faith are, 
How do I hang on to God when it's not okay? How do I love other people when it's not okay? What do I do when I'm filled with things like disappointment, confusion, anger, or fear? How do I keep going when it's not okay? Well, we've discovered that throughout the Bible, people of faith have long found the ability to give voice to their not okayness. They've been real and raw, and they've called it like it is. Job had the courage to say, I'm not okay. And the book of Psalms and Proverbs are filled with our holy scriptures that show people just like you and just like me expressing every range of human emotion, all the highs and all the lows. Today we're going to look at an experience that will touch every single one of our lives at some point, and that is the reality of loneliness. Now, loneliness can be a little bit elusive sometimes. It can be hard to, ex to define until we really experience it. And then there's absolutely no denying it, is there? It's a helpless feeling. It's a hopeless feeling, an empty feeling. And people can experience loneliness for lots and lots of different reasons. It's not always about just the absence of other people. For example, loneliness can take the form of unemployment, that feeling that you've been cast aside, that you're no longer needed by society, that you've been left behind. Or maybe you're single and you have an inner longing to be in a romantic relationship with someone and you may wonder, is this ever going to happen for me? And if it does, when is it going to happen? And God, do you even care? Are you listening? Or maybe you're married and there's a growing distance between you and the one with whom you promised to spend the rest of your life. Sometimes marriage can create the worst kind of loneliness. Or maybe you're the head of your own company or at the top of your department and you found leadership to be a very lonely place to dwell. Serious illness can separate us from others and bring on loneliness. The death of someone we love, moving to a new place, divorce, empty nesting, even aging itself can all cause us to experience loneliness. I remember one experience of loneliness when I was in high school. I actually brought it on myself, which I'm not too um, proud to say, but um, <laughs> I did something that was pretty jerk-like to my very best friend. And all of our other friends took his side, rightfully so, and turned against me, and I felt so alone. But for a while, the stubbornness of my pride um, prevented me from saying, I'm sorry. And I remember at least one whole weekend, maybe a little longer than that, just laying on my bed with my headphones on, listening to James Taylor, you got a friend, only I didn't feel like I had a friend. I was the sad and lonely part of that song. Fortunately, I came to my senses and apologized to my friend and restored some of those broken relationships because you see, we're created to live in community, aren't we? I mean, the Godhead, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the perfect image of perfect community with each other. 
And God created us in his own image. And so create community is written into our DNA. God created Adam and then he created Eve so he wouldn't be alone, thereby creating community in the human family. Jesus created community all around him as he walked this earth and the church has been the community of Christ ever since. Well, this week, we've particularly been looking at some of the Psalms in our Bible reading plan. And I want to start today by looking at Psalm 22, which the Bible tells us was written by King David. Beginning in verse one, David writes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night but I find no rest. David's words express an absolute desperate loneliness, don't they? I mean, David feels like God has abandoned him. He believes that God is not listening to his cries. You, you get the sense that David is lying there awake and it's the middle of the night and David can't sleep. His mind is racing, it just won't settle down. There are a lot of things for David to fear. And now at night with nothing to distract him from his fears, he's all alone. Have you ever been there? I mean, if you read through the book of Psalms, you'll find that almost all of the really raw and desperate, honest prayers happen in the dead of night, don't they? Because you see, during the day, we have all kinds of things to distract us, don't we? I can turn on the television and go numb for a little while. I might call up a friend. I might get out my to-do list and just start acting busy to forget about how alone I am. But nighttime, that's different. At night, the whole world quiets down. There is no one to call. There is no easy way out. Everything seems bigger and darker and scarier. At nighttime, we talk to God in ways we never would during the day. At nighttime, our prayers become bold. Our prayers become assertive. Our prayers become honest. At night, we cut to the chase with God. Well-known theologian Henry Nowen said that when we are lonely, we need to find the source of that feeling. I mean, we're inclined to run from it, aren't we? Or to wallow in it. But the spiritual task is not to escape from our loneliness, nor to let ourselves drown in it, but to find its source. And when we pray at night, when we're willing to let our loneliness lead us in our prayer, it leads us to the source. A few verses later in Psalm 22, David makes this claim, verse six, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. You see, at the source of David's loneliness, there are real fears about his reputation and rejection. David finds himself in a really low place. His own view of himself has hit rock bottom. He feels cut off from everyone. 
And so when we're in that lonely place, the question for each of us becomes, what kind of prayer do we pray? Maybe they sound something like, God, I'm afraid I'm gonna be alone and single for the rest of my life. Or God, we want a baby so badly, but what if that never happens for us? God, I'm putting years into this job now, and what if everything falls apart and I fail? God, what if there is no cure, and the one that I love dies? David turns to God when he is at his lowest and all alone. And he calls out to God in verse 11, do not be far from me for trouble is near and there is no one to help. He remembers or calls to mind that God has been with him since before his birth. That even when he was brought out of his mother's womb, it was God who was acting and it was God who was teaching David to put his trust in God. And yet again, for emphasis, David calls out to God by reminding him in verse 19, but you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. You see, David isn't running from his trouble, is he? He's not running from his loneliness. He isn't trying to escape from it. And he also isn't wallowing in it or drowning in it. David is facing it head on. He's calling out to God who is the only one who can help him. God, who is his strength. If Psalm 22 sounds familiar to you, it may be because not only is it a prayer of King David, but Jesus himself also spoke some of these words as he was hanging on the cross. I explored some of that in my message on Good Friday because my God, my God, why have you forsaken me are some of the seven last words of Christ. We talked about how Jesus was for a time completely cut off from God because God cannot look on sin and Jesus took all of our sin upon himself and paid the penalty. But we also said that Jesus did that willingly so that we would never have to be separated from God. Yes, Jesus experienced loneliness and Jesus had the feeling of being utterly forsaken. But these were not usual for Jesus. In fact, much more usual for Jesus was being actually very connected to God. So how did Jesus do this, you might ask? Well, the answer might not be what you think. Because you see, for Jesus, loneliness wasn't something to be avoided or escaped from, but rather it was something he went after on a regular basis. The gospel accounts of Jesus' life are full of examples which show Jesus' habitual and intentional pursuit of quiet, lonely, wilderness places. Jesus pursued solitude with God. A few examples. Jesus began his years of ministry by spending 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. He spent the night alone in the hills of the desert before he chose the 12 disciples. 
When he heard the news of John the Baptist beheading, he withdrew in a boat to a lonely place. After feeding the 5,000, he went up into the hills by himself. After a long night of hard work, he got up in the morning well before dawn, and he went out to a lonely place. When the twelve returned from preaching and healing, Jesus instructed them to come away with him to a lonely place. Following the great healing of a leper, Jesus withdrew to the wilderness and he prayed. As Jesus moved closest to the passion of the cross, he sought out the solitude of a garden called Gethsemane. So it's worthwhile, I believe, for us to take a look at and think about this pattern that we see in Jesus' life. What if our loneliness, instead of something to be avoided, might be the means by which we actually find the life of connection and fullness for which we were created? What if our call is not to withdraw from loneliness, but like Jesus to lean into it? There's a children's book by an author by the name of Michael Rosen titled, We're Going on a Bear Hunt. And in this story, the father takes three of his children on a bear hunt, and along the way, they face lots of different obstacles among them being a field of very tall grass, a deep river that they have to go across, a dark forest that they have to get through, a snowstorm to endure. And at every obstacle, they repeat a line which becomes a rallying cry to move forward. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. Oh no, we've got to go through it. As we think about our loneliness, I think there's some good biblical wisdom for us in the words from this children's story. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. We have to move through it. And as we navigate our own loneliness, I wonder if we might find, like Jesus did, that when we move through it, we find the very thing that we're looking for. Back to Psalm 22 for a minute. I believe there was something about David's loneliness that allowed him to experience God's good character in a unique way. There's something about turning to God in the dead of night that he never felt necessary in the light of day. It allowed David to know God in a way that he had never known God before. Henry Nouwen talks about this important movement where we, where we transform our loneliness into what he calls solitude. You see, loneliness is the pain and the emptiness of being alone. And we weren't created for it. We weren't meant for it. But solitude is learning to be alone with God. And we are absolutely created for it. Our souls long for it until we find it. Richard Foster says, Solitude is more a state of mind and heart than it is a place. There is a solitude of the heart that can be maintained at all times. And if we possess inward solitude, we do not fear being alone. For we know that we are never alone. 
There is another psalm for us to look at this morning, and it was also written by King David. It is perhaps the most well-known and well-loved of all the psalms. It is Psalm 23. You will remember that as a boy, David himself was a shepherd. He tended to the family flocks. And I'm sure there were long, warm days when being outdoors would have just been some of the best days ever. But you know, shepherding could also be dangerous. There were wild animals lurking around that could strike. Sheep could wander off and get themselves into treacherous places. And it was dark and it was cold at night. And you can imagine the loneliness. David wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. I like nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. I believe that in this psalm, David makes one of the most profound statements of faith ever. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. For you see, David knows that God is his shepherd. And just like when David himself was a shepherd and cared for his sheep, providing everything that they would ever need, how much more so does God, the good shepherd, provide for his beloved children? God provides green pastures to feed the sheep. He leads to quiet streams of water from which to drink. He brings refreshing to the souls of his children and leads them in the right paths in order to follow his will for their lives. Verse four, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Yes, David has known green pastures, quiet streams and right paths. Yet even in the darkest places, even on the darkest nights, when loneliness can seem its most pronounced, David is not afraid. He is not afraid because he knows that God is with him. Not a distant, unknowing God, but a personal, all-knowing, all-caring God. You see, this poem has shifted from the third person pronouns of he leads me to you are with me. David goes on to say, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In these verses, the imagery shifts from that of a shepherd to that of a gracious host. One who lays a feast on the table and shows radical hospitality. And it is worth noting that in the final verse, God's goodness and love follow the psalmist, not in a passive sense like a shadow that, that goes along with us wherever we go, but rather in the Hebrew, the verb is active. It means to pursue, to seek out, to go after. Just like in the song we sang, Reckless Love, your love is chasing after me. That's what this psalm is saying. No matter how lonely we might feel, no matter how afraid, how dark the night might be, God's love and goodness are coming for us. They're seeking us out until they find us. David has learned that God is with him. 
that God is sufficient, that God is enough for him even when he faces the valleys in life. David has learned to cultivate a life of solitude with God. So what are some steps that we can take to forge a life of solitude with God? How can we lean into solitude in such a way that it fulfills our longing for communion with God and it helps us to see the sufficiency of God even when human loneliness creeps in? Richard Foster shares a few ways. He says, first, we can take advantage of all the little solitudes that come into our life each and every day. The first moments of silence when we wake up and are lying there in bed still. That first cup of coffee in the morning before the day gets too busy. The solitude of bumper to bumper traffic when we sit there and can be with God if we choose to. That moment when we turn a corner and there's a beautiful flowering tree that comes into our sight. You know, sometimes we waste these moments, don't we? We're not even aware of them. They're lost on us. But we can and we should redeem these kinds of moments. For these moments can reorient our lives. Even in the middle of our day, they can help us to be genuinely present with the Lord. We can also develop or find a quiet place that's designed for silence and solitude. Maybe a room in your home, or maybe just a chair in a special corner of your home, a spot in your favorite park, or even the sanctuary or the chapel in the church when the church is open. You can try to live an entire day without speaking a word, or maybe you can just try and use your words very judiciously throughout the day. Be known as a person who when you open your mouth to say something, it's worth listening to. You could take a silent retreat. I did this once overnight with several other people and it was immediately startling to me how great was my urge to use words which were just really unnecessary filling a void. And then as the evening went on, I did find myself being drawn closer and closer to God in the silence but one of my best memories was the next morning as we gathered together as a community for worship and, and brief devotions before breakfast. The first words that we spoke together were Psalm 51, verse 15. O oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall proclaim your praise. And I realized how many wasted words I use and how I really wish that every word that came out of my mouth would be used to proclaim God's praise. Wouldn't that be awesome? My friends, like Jesus, we can learn to lean into times of solitude and silence with God. We grow closer to God in these times, and we learn that we are never alone. Would you pray with me? Oh God, thank you for teaching us and reminding us this day that in all the seasons of life that are not okay, the calamity, the anxiety, the loneliness, all the stuff that life bears, that we're never alone, that you are always with us, that you never leave us or forsake us, and you bring others into our life to walk that road with us, to pray with us and for us, so this day, God, 
Help us to lean into solitude with you. Help us to cultivate that in our own lives so that we can know you and know that you are always there. In Jesus' name.